You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is known Titanoth Rex hater, Ethan Sachs. <laughs> Ethan, what's up in your world? Wow, just starting off with the savagery. That first of all, this is these are lies and slander. I I do not hate Titanoth Rex. I like that card very much, mostly because I'm obsessed with the reanimate spells in Aquaria Limited. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very good. How's the format been treating you so far? I love it. Uh we got to play it a little bit early during the early access streamer event on Wednesday, dove in on Thursday to uh, do some drafts with humans on Magic Arena, have dipped back over to MTGO, but I am really, really liking the format. It definitely plays to a lot of my strengths and a lot of the things that I like to do in Limited. What about you? Yeah, have been crushing it on MTGO and Arena. I've got around an 80% win rate in best of one and best of three between both platforms. I do think Arena's pretty soft at the moment. So I, I, like you, have shifted back over to MTGO. My last three drafts were on MTGO, got a couple trophies in three drafts. It's been fun. The format just feels like a giant sandbox, and you can do so many busted things. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of sets that come out that we're like, oh, this is like Cube. Oh, man, this is so good. It's like Cube. This does feel close to a master set with how high the synergy is and how high the power level is at even common and uncommon. Yeah, absolutely agree. All right, so we have a lot of information to bring to you folks from all of the drafts that we've done, all of the information we've got from our Discord, from all the folks crushing it there. But before we get into any of that, we've got to talk about the Patreon page, Ben, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Discord is breaking a format yet again, Ben. We're breaking Acoria left and right here. A lot of activity. I mean, it just couldn't be more active. We've got a lot of people this week who are joining it. So strap in for the episode today. We're only announcing our new patrons, Ben. <laughs> this week, we are welcoming to the fold Joel M. Sam. Donnie. Steven. Biosis. Jason. Guy. Christopher. Daniel. Michael. David. Ben. Nathan. Lauren. Lucas. Patrick. Russell. Ryland. Alan. Dave. Endo Jackson. Bates. Jason. Steven. Tobias. Alex. Thomas. Vic. Camden. Tom. Roland Trotter. Joshua. Vashendra. Sean. Chris. George. Byron. Kevin. Jack. Orion. Jeff. Eric. Malky. Gar. Do you need a glass of water or anything? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Sam. Andrew. Roland. Dan. Daniel. Ronnie. William. Steiner. Shukri. Frederick. Alec. Peter. Luke. Patrick. Professor Minor. Kiminub. Jordan. And another Stephen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really, really appreciate your support. That is absolutely absurd. Thank you so, so, so much. The outpouring of support is awesome. And I think, you know, people want to know what's going on in Ikoria. Lords of Limited Discord is the best place to do it. Absolutely. Another quick announcement. We unveiled brrr, the Lords of Limited website last Monday. So that is your one-stop shop for all things Lords of Limited, www.lordsoflimited.com. You can go to find links to my stream, Ben's stream, our YouTube channel. We've got a tier list up there of all of our card rankings, episode archives, a contact us sheet. So that is your place to go to find all of our content. Yeah, looks great. Sweet. All right, Ben, let's start off with, I think we're going to go through are like normal questions about a format, but the answers are not going to be normal. This feels very different than other formats we've seen. We're going to have comparisons to previous formats, I think, but as a whole, this feels like a new beast, which I think is sort of appropriate for the layer of behemoths. 
Wow. That was good, right? That was pretty good, huh? <laughs> All right. Let's start off with our first question here, Ben. Is this a prince or a pauper format? I think this is neither. This feels like a master style format. You said it early in the episode or cube light or something. It is very different from a normal format synergy is through the roof and the cards are really powerful through all rarities and a pile of good cards is just not getting it done here your deck has to be doing something very synergistic and very focused it also feels much less on rails as we'll talk about a a little bit later but it doesn't feel like you're like ah i'm blue green so i'm the blah deck like blue green is like a mutate deck but it also could be a, a splash deck or could be doing some recursion stuff like you're not necessarily only doing one thing in one color pair like mutate is across all five colors cycling exists in multiple colors spells matter exists in multiple colors there's a lot of fixing so you may be bleeding from just a two color deck to a two color splashing a third or a fourth color deck there's a lot of different things going on here that aren't just like a ah you're white black so you're humans that's not necessarily the case every draft yeah absolutely agree i think the archetype guidelines are there and you can certainly draft those decks but there's a lot of room for creativity and making up your own archetypes. I mean, and coming off of the back of something like Theros Beyond Death, where there were basically no build arounds, this is just build around heaven. This is like a ball pit, dude. There's so much that you can do in this format. (laughs) I'm diving in deep. Yes, exactly. All right. So where are you at on number of lands in the format? It's all over the place. I mean, I love to be able to come into this episode and go like, this is an 18 land format. This is a 16 land format. I think it ranges wildly. And I think that's mostly because of not only the cycling deck, but just the cycling cards in general. A lot of these one mana, the colorless one mana cycling cards really allow you to reduce the number of lands and the fact that there's not a lot of mana sinks or places to put mana that I think being prone to flooding is something you want to be worried about. So I've not gone up to 18 lands. I've gone 17, anywhere down to 15 so far, but I've seen 14, 13, Ghash posted a cycling deck with 10 lands in it on Twitter the other day. Yeah, I've gone as low as 14 and as high as 18. My 18 was just because my deck was up kind of a pile <laughs> and, and needed needed sources. So that's a, that's probably a good uh, good thing to point to. If you if you kept running 18 lands, your deck may be a pile, bro. What about the format's speed? I don't know if we've got a consensus here, but what are your thoughts? My current feeling is that it's fairly fast. I would characterize it as medium fast at the moment. Mm-hmm. You really need to be getting on board early so it does feel like a board presence people format to me similar to war of the spark and if you're not getting on the board early you need to have cheap answers like fire prophecy the one red deal three or dead weight you know the black minus two minus two enchantment that sort of stuff is pretty key so you've either got to be doing busted stuff early or you've got to be interacting early and i think if you do those things you can get to the late game yeah it really feels similar to war not that you know that format was so fast that Games were ending on turn six, turn seven, but that because of the presence of Planeswalkers, you needed to get on board early to not only pressure your opponent's Planeswalkers, but protect your own. And with Mutate running around, I feel like there's a very similar thing happening where you need to be affecting the board early to be punishing your opponent from sort of tempoing themselves by mutating. And also you need to be affecting the board early with good mutatable two drops so that you can get your mutate chain and snowballing stuff happening early as well. Right. The game's not over by turn six or turn seven, but sometimes somebody has snowballed to where it's effectively over by that point. There are like turns where it's like, this is the turn where the game is effectively over, but we're still going to have to play out for a couple more turns. Right, because the the games just spiral out of control. When the cycling synergies build up, that deck's totally unstoppable. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. And I do think, you know, mutate can be pretty quick. 
And I do think cycling is definitely the format bully as far as speed goes, but it's also got the staying power to compete well into the late game. Yeah, for sure. Right. That's the the cool thing about those two decks is they can both play out pretty aggressively and then they can definitely have staying power into the late game. They can tussle on turn 10 plus, etc. Right. So what have the best decks been so far? Well, I think, you know, we sort of just spoiled that. I do think that cycling decks, probably red, white cycling, and then Sultai based mutate decks would be my my picks for the two best decks right now. Do you think mutate is limited to Sultai? No, but I think that's where it's at its best because that's where you get the most splashing. Like green based mutate decks, I think are the best because then you get to dip into like, oh, well, I'm not playing red as my main color, but I can easily splash, you know, a fire prophecy or a porky parrot or whatever. That's fair. What, what, what would you have said? I would have said it. Mutate is mutate knows no colors. I think mutate knows some colors. <laughs> Maybe that's why I ended up with a pile. <laughs> I don't think mutate likes white that much. That's fair. Yeah. So speaking of splashing removal, boy, howdy, the removal is insane. And I don't think this is a surprise to us, really. Like we sort of pegged that early in the, the crash course that every color seems to be getting good interaction and it's all single pipped. So it's splashable. It all is like really effective at dealing with stuff. A lot of it is an instant speed. The removal at common is, I think this is maybe the strongest we've ever seen it. It's very, very, very good. And I think you really want it because the decks snowball hard. So removal is pretty important for either killing the good, you know, mutatable targets early that people are going to try to mutate onto or the cycling payoffs and interacting with those early is a recipe for success. You mentioned this early that like, you know, stuff like dead waiting or fire prophesying a two drop can really wreck someone's curve out plan with mutate. Like if they're like, oh, I've got my two drop creature that I'm hoping to put a, a porky parrot on, or I'm hoping to wait till turn four to put one of the many four drop mutate creatures onto it the dream tail heron for example you can really mess with your opponent's like tempo and curve out potential by just nabbing that two drop right quick yeah if there's a brushwag or a mysterious egg sitting on the battlefield I, i'm getting it off the battlefield if i can isn't that crazy like you're like gotta respect those the one mana o2 i mean but not not late in the game but early in the game yeah. certainly yeah for sure so this next point that we've got here, I think, is maybe one of the most important points that we're going to try and hit home here for you folks this week, and that is building decks in this format is so important. Having a deck and not a pile of cards, I mean, what was the, the Sam Black phrase was draft decks, not cards. I think that is super important in this format. Yeah, that is the most important lesson we can hammer home the entire format, I think. And there are archetypes for each color pair, but we've said it, the format doesn't necessarily have to revolve around... A, drafting the enemy color pairs. You know, that's the headliner, right? Mm -hmm. You're supposed to draft enemy color pairs. You know, it's like cons. There's the wedges. And to that point, I've seen people ending up in wedges, like just true three color decks. I think way too much. Yeah, the... The comparison to cons here, because we've got the tap gain lands, you know, we've got the the mana rocks, with, which are similar to the banners. There's evolving wilds. There is a, a lot of fixing. And I think there's a lot of powerful stuff that you may want to splash around for. But I don't think you want to be stretching your mana base to like a 666 style thing, basically ever. But I've seen a lot of decks like that in the discord and just played against a lot of decks like that, especially on arena. And as we said before, I don't think you want to get not only do you not want to get pigeonholed with like, well, I got to draft the enemy color pairs. Don't get pigeonholed into like thinking about what a certain archetype is trying to do. You know, yeah, black, white is humans, but it could also be a sort of like tension thing of getting benefits from human and non-human stuff. You could have a black, white sacrifice deck. You could have a, a black, white mutate deck. Like there's many different things that individual color pairs can do. Yep. Can confirm. I've already drafted black, white mutate and it was very strong. Nice. Something that I've seen a lot as well from folks, not only this sort of like con style mana base thing, but the idea of, you know, I think red has 
this problem the most, which is you can feel like you're trying to do all three things. You've got like some support for mutate, you've got some support for spells matters, and then you've got support for cycling matters. And I think trying to jam all three of those themes into a single deck is a recipe for disaster. And I believe that specifically blue, red, and red, white can lend themselves to this. People just sort of hedging their bets in different directions, and they've got a little mix of each. And I really think the power is going to come from being streamlined in one of those lanes. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. So you want to stay open, but I think once you decide what you're doing, you know, like at the end of pack one, or maybe you audible because of something you open in pack two or whatever, but you need to be doing the thing, I think. Yes. that though, At least those are the best decks. And if you're trying to do multiple things, it should be because of some very powerful rare that you got late or something. I think in general, you want a synergistic deck, not pockets of synergy, unless it's a really, really, really powerful pocket of synergy. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm not sure that this is a format where pockets of synergy are, are cool. I think you can do a lot more and get a much more powerful deck, a, a much more greater than the sum of its parts deck by going hard in a lane. Like I think even just getting like, I've got a survive Thundermane early, that's the red, white, three, two. When you cycle, you can pay two and you get to deal two to something and gain two. You, you get that. You don't need to see much more powerful stuff beyond the commons. Like you can just get some prickly marmosets and some Dranith stingers and a bunch of cyclers and and you've got a deck there. But when you get into a mess is when you're like, well, I've also got this Vulpakeet and I've also got some stuff that cares about spells because I'm in red. And that's when I think you get into a mess. Yeah. Those are the hardest decks when people are submitting what's the builds to like help because you're like, well, you're not really doing any of these things well. It's yeah. better to do one thing really well than to do two things not super well. Don't try to be a jack of all trades in this format. So, you know, you mentioned this sort of like issues with cons of Tarkir mana bases. Does that mean that you're you're trying to draft two color decks here or are you okay with splashing around? I mean, you're oh, fine to splash. I think you definitely want to be based two colors though. I think the thing where I've seen it the most is when people have ultimatums in their deck. Ooh. And I think by and large, the ultimatums are traps for the most part. I think so too. I, so I think even on their on face value, they're not all created equal for sure. Like some of them I just think aren't powerful enough, period. And then adding in or taking then into account the significant cost to your mana base and how difficult they are to cast, I, I think they're just definitely more trouble than they're worth. Yeah. And so those can lead you down like a three color con style deck. I would try to avoid that if all possible. My My intention is to be base two colors splashing around. Or if you're green, you really can do quite a bit if you get the Fertilids, the Migratory Great Horns, you know, the Humble Naturalist. There's a lot of ways to fix in green, Farfinder as well. Mm -hmm. So you certainly can do it, but I think you definitely want to be base two colors and you definitely want to not get lost in the sauce of like trying to do much too much stuff not well. Yeah. This format feels like a breath of fresh air after Theros for the the one reason that it does feel like another drafting the hard way set. It feels like it really rewards you for staying open like Throne of Eldraine did. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of powerful cards that nobody else really wants unless they're also doing that thing. So if you can identify whatever the open archetype is in your draft, you should get cards late. Think stuff like Zenith Flare, that's the two red-white, um, deals X damage to any target equal to the number of cycling cards in your graveyard and you gain X life. Nobody wants that, but a very focused cycling deck or Sanctuary Lockdown is the human's enchantment, the two white enchantment that gives humans plus one, plus one, and then you can pay two, tap two humans to tap down target creature and opponent controls. Nobody wants that unless they're a focused humans deck, and they're very powerful cards in their respective decks. All right, so I think that brings us to maybe 
the archetypes that we've had success with, the archetypes that we think are maybe the most powerful, and looking at them in terms of like payoffs and enablers and the tiers of the cards you want to be taking to sort of give you a clue about like, well, if I'm seeing this stuff fourth or fifth, then maybe I want to be moving into that kind of deck. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to kick things off with cycling. I think this is the best deck in the format. I think Mutate's a close second, but I think the ideal cycling deck, if you get the one mana cyclers, is where you want to be. Cool. So what are like the tier one cards that that pull you into that deck? So Valiant Rescuers, one and a white, three one with cycling two. And whenever you cycle a card on your turn or your opponent's turn, you get a 1-1 human soldier token. You can't go nuts on your own turn. I tried to do that one time and got wrecked a little bit. So you got to wait and do 1-1 one one on each turn. Uh, there's Zenith Flare that we just talked about, Savai Thundermane, that's the cat that Lightning Helix's things, and Reptilian Reflection. This is going way too late right now, especially on MTG Arena. Uh, it's two and a red for an enchantment, and whenever you cycle a card, you can make it a 5-4 Dino Trample creature that smashes your opponent to death. Yeah. So those, I think, are the, the Tier 1s, and Tier 2 is not far behind Tier 1 at all. What do we got going on there? Tier 2, you got Flourishing Fox, that's the white 1-1, one, one. gets a plus and plus 1 counter on it each time you cycle, and it has Cycling 1. Rooting Moloch is sort of the red Cycling Gravedigger, that's the 4 and a red 4-4 four, four with Cycling 2, and lets you bring back something with Cycling and cast it until the end of your next turn. Snare Tactician is the 2-3 that taps something when you cycle. Draineth Stinger is the 1 and a red 2-2 two, two that deals a damage to your opponent when you cycle. Prickly Marmoset, the 2-3 first striker for 3 that gets plus 2 plus 0 until end of turn when you cycle something. Yeah, and then tier 3 is literally just any one mana cycler. Bonus mm -hmm. points if it's on color. So literally this deck, I mean, Savai Thundermane, I don't even think you necessarily really need. Like Zenith Flare is the best, I would say, followed mm -hmm. closely by Rescuer and Reflection. And then if you've got that and a Prickly Marmoset or two and a Snare Tactician, like you've got a very good deck. And then if you get more of those, your deck is just absolutely absurd. Right. So the, the awesome thing about this deck and about Mutate is that you don't need rares. So just again, feeling coming off of Theris Beyond Death, where it felt like that was the thing, it was just like, what rares do I get and how do I maximize them? You get commons that are both enablers and payoffs here, right? You've got a bunch of cyclers at common, and then you also just have Snare Tactician and Dranith Stinger and Prickly Marmoset. Like you don't need the rares or even some uncommons to make these decks absolutely nutty. Right. So one mana cyclers right now, even on MTGO, I think, for the most part, for the majority of people, are way underrated. The cards are very good. They should not be wheeling, I don't think, in general. And as long as they're wheeling, I think the cycling deck is going to be the boogeyman of the format. And once people start to take them a little higher, it'll be interesting to see how the format shakes out. But I, for example, last night was my first time drafting this deck. I had a Savai Thunder main that I got like, I don't know, pick five, pick six. And then I picked like five or six one mana cyclers at the end of pack one and then just was in the deck and then could take the payoffs because I had the one mana cyclers. They're really, really, really powerful and they let you go lower on lands. And mm -hmm. we've had some questions about heuristics for one mana cyclers and what they do to your lands. I think the general rule, I would say if you're looking for a rule is like for every three one mana cyclers, you can maybe cut a land. So like if you've got nine one mana cyclers, go 14 land. If you only have six, maybe go 15 land. But there's also some tension there with whether or not you want to cast like Rooting Moloch or do you have the Lava Serpent, the 5-5 five, five Haster? Do you want to get to six mana to cast that maybe? So there's stuff to think about, but cycling definitely should affect the numbers of lands you're playing, especially in this deck. And I would not worry about flooding. Like I was tempted to put like stuff like Cathartic Reunion early on in the format in my cycling deck because I thought I was going to hit too much lands. You win games easily if you hit seven, eight, nine lands, it's not a problem. 
I did. I had a red white cycling deck that I was asking quarter calls a little deck tech about. And he said that he had a red white deck where he was playing cathartic reunion and wished that he had the second one in his main deck as well. So I do think there, there is room for that for sure, but uh, I don't think you need it in every red white deck. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, if we're talking about like keys for the deck, you can really get there with the common payoffs. I don't think you necessarily need, yeah. you certainly don't need a lot of the uncommon payoffs. No, for sure. I mean, you you you, you would like that. That's when the deck is really going to hum. That's when it's going to really go off, I think. But the fact that you can really get there with a lot of commons makes this deck super powerful. I think another thing to be careful of is there's not a lot of room for cards that aren't payoffs and that don't cycle. So like pacifism, there's only so many slots for a card like that. And do you want some removal in there? Yes, but it really needs to be premium removal or a bomb, I think. Yeah, it's tough. Like all the white removal spells like pacifism, like checkpoint officer, divine arrow, they don't really sing in this style of deck. Right. Snare tactician is just miles better than checkpoint officer in this deck. Right. Yeah, I agree. And another thing to think about is I've seen some people that are like kind of cycling. You don't want to do that. Like you want to be like you want to have nine one mana cyclers and like 14, 15, 16 total cyclers in your deck. It's very much a combo deck and you want to try to combo off and combo kill your opponent. And one of the the two main ways to do it are Zenith flaring their face. I think after cycling through a lot of your deck, just bullying them aggressive style with stuff like Reptilian Reflection and Snare Tactician. Or if you've got Valiant Rescuer early, going wide, and then one of the, I think it's called Coordinated Charge, yep. the two, two mana cycler, four and a white instant creatures you control get plus two, plus one. It's just ready made for this deck. It feels like cheating. And when you have all those pieces, what's really cool is that like your opening hand sort of dictates what route you're going to go down for the game. Like if Valiant Rescuer is in your opener, you're like, cool, I'm on the go wide plan. If it's Reptilian Reflection and a Snare Tactician, then you're like, cool, I'm going to beat them down with this 5-4. Like you get to do different things based on the makeup of your deck and then what your opening hand presents you. Yeah, and I would not be afraid to cycle early that would be another piece of advice like if you don't have the payoffs in your hand cycle to try to find them because you should have enough cyclers in your deck that you're still going to be able to get there Mm -hmm. agree all right on to your specialty what's up in the world of mutate the sultai mutate deck Mm -mm, this is all i want to do literally the only deck i want to draft is the mutate deck so you've got a lot of really strong mutate creatures even some of the ones that common are like really really strong but i think tier one here uh we're going to run through just a few there's auspicious starix that's the five mana six six has mutate for five and a green and if you mutate it you exit Exile cards from the top of your library until you exile X permanent cards, where X is the number of times this creature has mutated. Put those permanent cards onto the battlefield. This card is just slightly awkward because if you've got the really good mutate deck, what happens is you don't want to just put those mutate creatures onto the battlefield. You want to mutate them. And so you're just like, see your chittering harvesters pass you by as just like four sixes hitting the battlefield. But you'll take your value where you can get it. Uh, there's Parcel Beast. That's the Simic 2-4 that lets you pay one to tap it and you look at the top card of your library. If it's a land, it goes onto the battlefield untapped, mind you, or otherwise you put it into your hand. Pouncing Shore Shark is the Flash 4-3 that when it mutates mutates you get to bounce something chittering harvester is uh Farika spawn that's the four six when it mutates your opponent sacks something archipelagor is the giant frost links that's the seven seven that when you mutate you tap something down and it doesn't untap and that's for as many times as the creature is mutated so that card especially is, is pretty insane if you get to put that on something that's already 
mutated. You're getting two taps there. But these cards just like pack a real punch when you get to mutate them. Yeah, they're absolutely absurd. Do you have any sense for like which one of those is the absolute best? I've heard some talk of Auspicious Star X as maybe the best uncommon. I don't. I think that may be the worst of that list, honestly, just because of the tension I just mentioned. I think Parcel Beast is the best. Okay, very cool. That's my feeling. All right, moving on to tier two. We've got one that is near and dear to my heart. This Porky Parrot, three and a red for the three, four. And when you mutate onto something, that creature gains the ability tap, deal X damage, where X is the number of times this creature has mutated. Uh, there's Lord Dracus. This has been an overperformer for both of us, and I think we were both fairly high on it coming mm-hmm. in. So this is one blue red for a 2-3 lizard beast with mutate cost of is it, is it? And whenever it mutates, return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. There's Boneyard Lurker, two black green 4-4 four, four nightmare beast with a mutate cost of two Golgari Golgari. And whenever it mutates, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand and also chilling out in this tier is necropanther this is one white black for a three three with a mutate cost of two orzov orzov and whenever it mutates return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield an important note about the last three you just mentioned lord rackus boneyard lurker and necropanther these are all very high picks because of their flexible mutate cost the fact that you can like i trophied yesterday with a deck that you and i drafted with three lord rackus and it was a blue-black deck. I had no red sources in the deck. I was just playing it as blue-blue mutate. Boneyard Lurker, you could just play it in a green-red deck, in a black-blue deck. Necropanther can go in a white-blue deck. Like The flexibility of those mutate costs makes them very high picks, in my opinion. Also, if you don't know yet, Porky Parrot can get Death Touch and machine gun things down with Boot Nipper, and there's a lot of other ways to get Death Touch on stuff. There's Death Touch counters floating around. So very strong there, and also very strong in tandem with Glimmer Bell, because you can untap and tap multiple times to ping things for multiple damage. Yeah. Uh, bringing up the rear, but it's not even really the rear. You got Glowstone Recluse. That's the 2 3 with reach. When you mutate, you get two plus and plus one counters on the creature. Dreamtail Heron is the 3 4 flyer. When it mutates, you get to draw a card. Like, there's. There just aren't really bad mutate creatures. I think there are mutate creatures in colors where it's not as good, or maybe you need to work a little harder. But in Sultai, I think. They're just all rock solid. And even then, you know, some of the junkers, like the Death Touch one is not exciting, right? The three and a black Death Touch where when you mutate it drains. Yeah. But sometimes when you start to hit, like if you really are a mutate deck, you just literally want any creature that says mutate on it because you start to get these stacks of things if you're going off Mm -hmm. that anytime you mutate, you're getting two, three, four cards worth of value. Right. Decks with like seven plus mutate creatures just really have the potential to go off in that way. So, and the the other reason mutate is powerful is it's modal, right? You don't yes. have to mutate. You can play your auspicious star X as a five mana six, six. It's not, is it tempo negative sometimes, but like the mechanic is just good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, really powerful. So I think the most important thing to think about here is the good cheap enablers that are key to make this mutate deck sing. So I think among those, Essence Symbiote, that's the green two drop that gives the mutated creature a plus and plus one counter and you gain two. The aforementioned Glimmer Bell, the one three flyer that can untap. We've, we've got a lot of questions about well, why is Glimmer Bell so good? The reason it's good is the things you're looking for for good creatures to mutate onto, the reason why Mysterious Egg is actually playable is you just want something that's going to give you 
any amount of value on the stack. So plus and plus one counters are value and keywords are value. And Glimmerbell basically has two keywords. It has flying and it basically has vigilance. Like getting people with the untap Glimmerbell trick is going to happen in the first few weeks of this format. I've already attacked into a Glimmerbell. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard, especially when because the stack, especially on Arena, you just like don't see it. And it's easy to forget what's under that creature. Um Something like the Boot Nipper, which can either be Death Touch or Lifelink, that's pretty good when in a couple turns that's going to be a 4-4 body. Maybe it's going to have Death Touch or Lifelink. Maybe it comes along with something else like Menace. Like Those are the things you're looking for from your 1 and 2 drop creatures in this deck. Absolutely, absolutely. And you really need to make sure that you've got critical mass so that you can curve into your Mutate stuff, right? That's when Mutate is most broken. Yes, agreed. One last thing I would say is that sequencing is really important in, in these decks when you're creating the mutate stacks. Like you really want to think about when you have multiple options, and this generally happens at four CMC, of like, is it more important for me to have my heron trigger here? So I draw a card, and then next turn when I put the whisperer on there and my opponent discards a card and I draw another card, or would it be better if I only draw the one card here? Do I need to have menace now or flying now? Like there are a lot of decision points when you're creating those mutate stacks. And I just think it's really important to map out the the turns that are going to come to to make the most of those. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about enabling mutate. What are the tiers for enabling mutate? So we mentioned a couple in tier one, boot nipper, essence symbiote. I would put glimmer bell up here. I think chief among them is polywog symbiote. This is the one in a blue uncommon. It's a one three. Your mutate creatures cost one less. And again, that's not only for their regular CMC, but the mutate CMC. And whenever you mutate, you get to loot. That's really powerful. Farfinder is great. The three mana one, one Vigi that's colorless lets you search up a land. Trumpeting Gnar is pretty dang sweet. This is the one that makes three threes every time you mutate. Those are all really, really powerful. We can move on to tier two, Brushwag, Thieving Otter, Fertilid, Ivy Elemental. Ivy Elemental has not really performed, but a lot of the stuff that's three CMC is a tier below the two CMC stuff. And Brushwag, I think, has been an overperformer so far. That's the green 1-1 with Trample and then has the activated ability three and a green, give it plus three, plus three. Uh, That's really big threat of activation once you mutate onto it. The Otter can get really out of hand. You know, we identified early on the Thieving Otter into Dreamtail Heron Curve, but it does so much more than that, right? It's just threatening Mm -hmm. with removal, other things like that. Um, And Fertilid, you know, essentially gives that when you mutate onto it plus two, plus two, and can also enable splashing for a lot of your mutate shenanigans. Yeah, for sure. I had a cute little interaction today with Fertilid and the Green Mentor. So for uh, just the low, low cost of five mana, I could put a plus plus one counter on my little trampling Fertilid and then remove that counter to go search up a land. Value. Dirtle, dirtle, dirtle. I would also put Frostlink somewhere in this tier two, tier three lane, like something that it provides a little bit of tempo and then is something to mutate onto. I think that's just fine. Uh, tier three here, we've got uh, cards I'm not super excited about. Durable Coilbug, I would say, is probably an overperformer for me right now. That's the two, two that you can bring back from your graveyard to your hand for five mana in black. That little guy has done some work for me. The, yeah. the dirtiest thing I've done so far is Bushmeat Poacher Durable Coilbug. <laughs> That sounds beautiful to me. <laughs> yeah. Stormwild Cap Rider. So not super necessary because it's in white, but that's the three mana one three flyer that when it has non-combat damage dealt to it, you put that many plus and plus one counters on it. Do you know what card works pretty well in tandem with that? Divine Arrow. And Rumbling, uh, whatchamacallit, Rumbling Rock Slide. Oh, dang. Nice. But you can't do that as a, as a, at instant speed. You can't get the full blowouts. You can't get the full blowout, but an eight nine flyer is pretty good. That's fair. That's fair. So I I think it's important when you're in 
these kinds of decks to think about the, the two drops specifically that enable your mutates and being wary of filling your deck with creatures you can't mutate onto. So even though Facet Reader, that's the looter in blue, I think is a good card, it's non-human. Even though Humble Naturalist, the one three that lets you ramp out the one three mana dork in green is good, it's a human, and that's taking up valuable spots for the creatures you want to mutate onto. So just like be wary of, I think, you know, we talked about the the red decks maybe being like, well, are you mutate? Are you cycling? Are you spells matter? I think there's sometimes I see decks that are like, well, I'm mutate, but I'm also human, non-human stuff. And I think as you sort of, you know, dilute that game plan, your deck gets a lot worse. So where are you at on picking the enablers versus the mutators? Um, I am generally picking the mutators above the enablers because the, the enablers are just more common in my experience. Like mutate cards are mostly at uncommon or higher. Like the good ones are mostly at uncommon. You do have good ones at common, but the better ones are at uncommon. So when I have the opportunity to take those, I'm taking them and just assuming that even if I have to play some junkers, I can get the stuff to mutate onto. I think that's where I'm at as well. I would consider taking Polywog Symbiote and Trumpeting Gnar over some of them, but otherwise I'm pretty much with you. Any of, the, any of the top tiers of mutators, you're taking over the enablers. But I will say if you're struggling to find your lane in a draft, so far taking cheap non-humans, I think opens up a lot of avenues for you because yes. mutate is so spread across all colors. So if you're like uh, six or seven picks in and you don't really know what's going on, Take some of these cheap mutate enablers, and then if you get some good mutate creatures, bingo, bango, bongo, you've got a deck. All right, moving on to our next deck, which is humans. This does come together not as often as the others or not as easily, but when it's open, it's very, very, very strong. Mm -hmm. So tier one in the humans deck, we've got Sanctuary Lockdown. That's the enchantment that pumps your team, and you can use two humans to tap down something on your opponent's side for the low, low cost of two mana and tapping two humans. Dire Tactics, this is primo removal. This is white, black, instant, exile target creature and opponent controls, and if you don't control a human, you lose life equal to that creature's toughness. And worth noting with Dire Tactics, you don't have to be a full-on humans deck. It's worth slamming Dire Tactics in your deck and then including a few humans, so maybe you don't take the big hit, but it's just primo removal. You would play that in a deck with zero humans. You would, for sure. Yeah. Bastion of Remembrance is also on this list, and this does not have to be confined to humans, but I do think it really excels there as well. So it's two and a black for the enchantment. When it ETBs, you make a 1-1 white human, and then whenever a creature you control dies, target opponent takes a damage and you gain a life. Also pretty sweet in tandem with Durable Coilbug, Bushmeat poacher have gone gone that deep yeah i like bastion of remembrance a lot i just don't think it goes in every black deck i do think you want synergy things like the coil bug like the bushmeat poacher like maybe the valiant rescuer so you get another way to make a bunch of one ones um i I think that 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 card requires some some synergy pieces for sure but it does have a lot of shades of revenge of ravens from throne of eldraine like that that it can have that kind of a chokehold on a game yeah, I agree. Tier two here, we've only got one card, but it's a card I think worth talking about. This is Whisper Squad. This is the single black 1-1, one, one, and you can pay one and a black to search up a copy of Whisper Squad from your library and put it onto the battlefield tapped. You know, I think we both sort of wrote this card off in our initial review of the set, but it does look like this card has some applications in the format. Where do you like this card? I think this card's good in the humans deck. Mm-hmm. I think it's also good in red, black, go wide sacrifice. I think it does yeah. some serious work there. It's also a requirement that anytime you have like three or four of them on the battlefield and you do something that you say the squad. Oh, okay. I didn't <laughs> know that. That's good. That's good to yeah. know. <laughs> um, I, I think I would not 
So unless I had like a lot of synergy with this card, I don't think I would play it with two copies. But once you're in the three or four copy sweet spot, then I think you want to be looking for like reasons to have this card in your deck or, or these cards in your deck. Right. And then past that, a lot of the common humans are junkers. But yeah. when you get the payoffs... They're very good. And then there are also some savagely good rare payoffs, right? Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons I don't think this deck comes together a lot. But when it does, when it's obvious that you should be in here with either the the good uncommon payoffs, I would say that I think Sanctuary Lockdown is head and shoulders above the rest as as a reason to get into this deck. Um, but when you get those cards, when you get the, you know, the legendary black, white mythic, I think that's when you go, okay, if I've got the anthems for the humans, then I want to get into this deck. Moving on to our next deck, which is reanimator. Uh, there's a pretty sweet black green reanimate deck going on in the format and you are in love with, uh, unbreakable bond, right? This is my favorite card in the format right now. So this is the four and a black sorcery. You return a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield with a lifelink counter on it. This card in tandem with all the cycling creatures, the fact that the cycling creatures exist at common makes this busted. Not even thinking about the big baddies at uncommon, Void Beckoner and your boy Titanothrex. Yeah, so full disclosure, you know, we've memed a bit on Titanothrex. I do think the card is good, specifically in this reanimator deck. You're not picking it highly until you have Unbreakable Bond or Back for More. Yes, but when you have those, it's basically, there's not really anything else you take over it. It's basically an A+. Could you say that? I would not say it's an A+, Ben. <laughs> I would not say it. So there's Unbreakable Bond and then Back for More, which is the four black-green instant at Uncommon that lets you return a creature from the graveyard to the battlefield. And then you can have it fight up to one creature you don't control. So that's a huge swing at instant speed. And there are a lot of fatties. So like Titanoth Rex is the green 11-11 trample. Void Beckoner is the black 8-8 death touch. They can both cycle to put their ability counters on something. And then beyond that at Common, you've got Greater Sandworm, which is the 7-7 with cycling two colorless Lava Serpent, which is the 5-5 five, five Haste with Cycling 2 Colorless. Like, I just play Lava Serpent in my black-green decks without any way to cast it. I'm just playing it as a hasty, reanimated 5-5 five, five with Lifelink. Like, these cards make the reanimator deck possible. For sure. And I think, so, you, you mentioned a couple cards in Tier 2 there. Tier 2, I think, of the Sandworm and the Lava Serpent. But, I mean, if you don't get Void Beckon or Titanothrex, you're going to take those cards highly as well if you've got the Bond in the back for more. Skull Prophet is really good. Uh, this is black-green for the 3-1 and can tap to add black or green one of the things i've had happen in this deck is it feels a little clunky right like there's awkward stuff on like turns three and turns four where you're not necessarily doing great things until you can unbreakable bond or back for more so skull profit helps get you to those cards a little quicker mm -hmm. and then it can also tap to put two cards into your graveyard to help you just get lucky and mill them and then also excavation mole can do some serious work this perfect home for this little guy two and a green for the three three trample and when he etbs you put the top three cards of your graveyard into your library yeah. And I would say in a pinch, you could play the Vantasaur, the white 3-6 Vigi, like that as a, a thing that has lifelink, or that as a thing that comes back uh, at instant speed and fights something with back for more. It's not the most embarrassing. Obviously, you hope to do the other stuff first, but uh, but that's at your disposal as well. And just, I think, another nod to like just how powerful colorless cycling is in the format. Right. And also worth noting that this doesn't have to be your entire deck, right? You could just have a package of reanimate and cyclers in like a green-black mutate deck or whatever. Because this relies so heavily on getting those key uncommons, the back for more and the unbreakable bond, I think it's going to be a, this may be an example of, hey, this is a pocket of synergy in my deck, but you have to have another game plan. You can't just be a reanimate deck. Right. What do we got going on in spells, baby? 
man i love this deck i've had the chance to play this once beat the ben s mtg on magic arena with a spells deck for the seven two no less sick brags sick yeah, brags love those brags so in tier one for the spells deck and i think it's important to note that this really is a spells deck and not a cycling deck and there is i think a blue red cycling deck mm-hmm. but you want to know whether your spells are cycling and and not get caught in between the two so tier one we've got lore dracus that's the is it uncommon that mutates to bring back an instant or sorcery spell we got Sprite Dragon, Blue Red for the 1-1, one, one, Flying Haste, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. And a card that's going way too late, in my experience, Ominous Seas. This is one and a blue for the enchantment, and whenever you draw a card, you put a counter on it. After you get up to eight, you can remove eight counters to make an 8-8 eight, eight Kraken, and it also has Cycling 2, and you can trigger that multiple times. You don't have to sacrifice this card when you make the Kraken. Yeah, I played against a deck on day zero during the early access event my opponent made not one not two but three eight eight krakens with ominouses that sounds like my kind of deck yeah but i still beat him so no worries savage <laughs> what's going on in tier two tier two we got blitz of the thunder raptor that's the one in a red instant that deals damage to a creature or planeswalker equal to the number of instants and sorceries you've got in your graveyard um any removal that's premium removal is going to be in tier two for this deck of one mind really shines in this deck that's two and a blue for the sorcery you draw two cards and if you control a human and a non-human it costs only a single blue instead gust of wind is really good here this is three and a blue for the sorcery bounce target non-land permanent your opponent controls and you draw a card and if you control a creature with flying it only costs one and a blue worth noting about this card i really don't think it's something you're interested in including in your deck unless you've got some flyers running around One of the things that feels cube-like about this format to me is I'm very aware of the split from 3 CMC or lower and 4 CMC or higher. Once I get to 4 CMC, you know, in cube, that's where like planeswalkers are and you can just sort of get good stuff that's a dime a dozen. And so when I'm looking at things that are 4 CMC or more, I'm like, well, if this is a creature that can't mutate, like bristling boar is like highly medium in this format, I think. Like it's fine, but it's not something you're looking for. I'd much rather at 4 CMC or higher be getting the powerful mutate stuff or be doing better things with my spells. And I think Gust of Wind sort of slots in there. Right, for sure. And then sort of a tier below all of those is forbidden friendship that's one in red for the sorcery where you get a one one hasty dino and a one one human some things this does really well here it's a spell that's a creature so you care about that um it also turns on of one mind by itself so the fact that you can go you can have a curve of sprite dragon on turn two into on turn three cast forbidden friendship and then cast of one mind for a single blue that's just a really 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 strong start and that's a one two punch that this deck's trying to do together so i think that's Really, those are the cards that you want in blue-red spells. Sprite Dragon and Ominous Seas are really what make the deck tick. But they sort of have a little tension, I would think, because I think of Ominous Seas more as a cycling card and Sprite Dragon as more of a spells card. Ominous Seas, there's spells. I think the spells go better with Ominous Seas than cycling, honestly, because you've got Of One Mind and you've got Cathartic Reunion that lets you draw three at one time. Yeah, yeah, You've also got the four blue-blue to draw four. I don't know. There's a lot of ways to draw cards that aren't cycling in blue-red. And what are the things you really want to think about with this style of deck? Uh, this deck's really soft to removal. Like if, if your opponent kills your sprite dragon or your two sprite dragons, sometimes it's tough to win. Um, so for that reason, I think, you know, you're not like seeing a sprite dragon and putting the blinders on. It's not like cycling in that respect. This deck, you'd really need to be the only person in this deck, I think, for it to really be powerful. But if you are, this deck really does get there. And I think also worth noting that Ominous Seas 
doesn't just have to go in this archetype. I'm going to seize, I think, as its own kind of thing. Like It's just a very, very powerful card. Yes, I agree. All right. I think that's going to take us on to our overperformers, underperformers. Kicking things off in the overperformers, we've said it all episode, but anything with cycling one is absolutely busted. Cycling one cards should not be wheeling. Yeah. So I just want to put a little addendum here is that I, I we talked about this a little bit before the episode. I think that there are folks who are just including like very situational cards or bad cards even and just being like well it has cycling i think if you don't have any synergy there or if you're not accounting for it replacing a land or helping to replace a land you're sort of doing it wrong you're going to be prone to flooding but i think for example a card like memory leak that's the two in a black targeted discard spell that exiles a card from your opponent's hand or graveyard and it has cycling one i think that's a pretty potent spell because really good on turn three and then has the mitigated cost of well when i top deck this and my opponent doesn't have anything in hand i can just cycle it for one and then maybe you've got slight spell synergies if you're in blue black or black red or whatever like just looking for all those little pockets that that add up to a better card than just oh i can just cycle it for one to replace it right maybe you include two memory leaks and you only run 16 lands in Mm -hmm, exactly all right, you keyed me onto this one. What's up next? Okay, Mystic Subduel is up next. I'm going to sh- shout out a few folks, uh, Calls, who we're, we're always going to be shouting out, and Gimli XX on Twitch and Twitter. Uh, this is the one in a blue flash enchantment. It gives the creature minus two, minus O, oh, and makes it lose all abilities. This can really blow out people in response to them mutating. So like if your opponent goes to mutate onto a creature and you cast Mystic Subduel in response, then the mutate trigger doesn't happen. And they've like, effectively two for one themselves and now they're left with a smaller creature as well um mystic subduel is really really strong and i think is uh is is a card that should not be sitting on the sidelines yeah i agree i've been a little intimidated to take it because layers intimidate me but i plan (laughs) plan to be giving it a try uh blade banish three and a white for the instant exile target creature with power four greater this card is really good out of the sideboard you should be willing to pick it and i I would want access to two three four blade banishes in my sideboard because sometimes it just is as good as blood curdle i think blade banish is main deckable so i think our stats for this card sort of belied the truth a little bit with the amount of mutate triggers and plus one plus one counter stuff that happens like yeah we're not technically like going tall or like voltroning because you don't get power and toughness boosts but a lot of stuff does get plus one plus one counters and i think that bumps a lot of three power or even two power stuff into the blade banishable territory i agree uh snare tactician is up next that's the the two three tapper should we should we give our hot take now ben go for it snare tactician number one white common boom the reason is is i think the red white deck is the best white deck by a pretty significant margin and snare tactician i think is the best common that you can get in that deck yep absolutely and cycling is busted spontaneous flight has impressed uh this is two and a white target creature gets plus two plus two instant speed and you put a flying counter on it sort of a pretty flexible lava axe and can really close out some games and aggressive decks facet reader you pegged this card this is the the blue looter one and a blue one two tap to draw a card discard a card uh, there's not a lot of mana sinks in the format. There's actually hardly any. And past like land number six, most of the time, you don't need them. And a one of Facet Reader in most blue decks is going to help draw you out of that flood. Glimmerbell, we've talked about one of the best ways to enable mutate at two. That's the one in a blue one three flyer. 
of one mind we've talked about, the divination with cost reduction to a single blue, as long as you have a human and a non-human in play. I mean, that curve you just described with Sprite Dragon into Forbidden Friendship and this for one mana, that's pretty spicy. Boot Nippers up next, one and a black for the 2-1 with Lifelink or Death Touch. This is the premium black 2-drop to enable Mutate. Yeah. Memory Leak, we just talked about the targeted discard spell with one cycling. That should just go in every single black deck. Lava Serpent is up next. This feels like such a free roll in the cycling deck because you want it for the cycling too. And then the fact that sometimes you just get a randomly top deck of 5-5 haste is pretty busted. The almightiest of brush swags, single green for the 1-1. One, one. It has three and a green, plus three, plus three. It also has trample. This is a really good enabler for a, a nice mutate curve. Lead the stampede is one we haven't talked about. This is two and a green for a sorcery. And you look at the top five of your library and you can put any number of creatures in your hand from those five cards this is very good in mutate decks most mutate decks have anywhere in the 17 to 19 creature range yeah i think you really want to be maxed out on creatures before you like lead the stampede but i I do think it's a, a good way to refill your hand last thing here i want to talk about is companion i've seen a lot more companion decks that have looked really strong that people have trophied with. Uh, ben S posted a really nice Obosh deck. That's the one that has the restriction of you have only odd CMC. I've seen the even CMC one with that's Garuda. I've seen ones with Karuga the Macrosage with people starting their curve at three CMC and like mitigating the tempo loss with some crystals to ramp out Karuga on turn four. I've had the 60 card deck with Yorian. There are a lot more viable decks with these companions and just I think having the additional card in your opener is incredibly powerful. Yeah, I've had some mixed experiences with companions. I do think it's very powerful and it's super cool for draft. I don't care if they break constructed. Companion (laughs) existing in limited is really sweet. Yeah. So as you can tell, we're really, really high on a lot of cards, a lot of overperformers, not a ton of underperformers. What's first up here? The mentors. I was just wrong about these. You and Alex were 100% right. I missed that they could only go on non-humans. And I think oh. while while human non-human is certainly a thing, I think it's one it's more of like a oh this draft isn't going well, let me backdoor into like a human non-human hybrid deck and and then you can get those mentors late and they might be good in your deck, but I don't think you're supposed to go after them. Yeah. My my huge problem with the the human non-human split deck, I agree that it should be a backdoor for you, but that it just makes your mutate stuff so much worse and so much less consistent. Agree. Next up is Avian Oddity. You had this on this list and I couldn't agree more. I just can't quite figure out why this card is so clunky. This is three on blue for a two, four flyer and it has cycling two in a blue. When you cycle it, you put a flying counter on something. No part of this card is, is, you know, efficiently costed. It doesn't feel very impactful. It doesn't feel very synergistic. I, I don't find room for this card very much. It's just worse dream tale here and Dreamtail yeah. here is how you want to give stuff flying. I, I take umbrage with this next card. I just had a deck with two of these that I was thrilled with. Zagoth Mamba? You don't like the Mamba? I mean, it's fine. It's less good than I thought it was. There's not a lot of stuff that you care about killing with two toughness. I think that's fair. I mean, the times where it's great, it feels like just broken. But I agree. It, it sometimes is just like, a, well, I guess I'll finish this thing off post-combat maybe. Um, I had this as my number one black uncommon. It is Definitely not there anymore, but I do like the card. Ivy Elemental, I was way too high on. There's just better ways to enable mutate, and you don't really care about making a giant mutate because you spent a turn casting a 5-5 Ivy Elemental. And we alluded to this earlier in the episode, but I think all the ultimatums are way overrated right now i do not think you should be you know i I think we were even thinking like the mardu one that had your opponent you destroy all your opponent's non-land permanents we were like oh we're gonna be pack one pick one in that all the time and bending over backwards for it it's just 
not working out that way, I think. Yeah, I agree. All right, that takes us on to the color rankings from bottom to top. In last place, wah, wah, white. Feels bad, man. White always coming up short these days. Number four, take that, Darius Beyond Death. It's black, baby. Number three, green. And right now we've got number two, blue, number one, red. But I think blue and red, very, very, very close there. Yeah, I think red edging out blue slightly just because of a, such a deep roster of commons. And I will say while white is getting the shaft, I do think it is part of the best deck, which is red-white cycling. Agree. All right, on to re-ranking our top commons. White, number three, we've got Dranath Healer and Imposing Vantasaur as sort of interchangeable one-mana cyclers here. Uh, number two, Pacifism. And number one, Snare Tactician. That's the hot take here for you folks this week. We'll see how that holds up. Moving on to blue, we've got a tie here at number three, sort of, I think, a nod to, to two different decks of one mind for a spells deck and a slash a, a human non-human deck and glimmer bell for the mutate decks number two dreamtail heron and number one essence scatter this card is so good in the format it's very 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 strong yeah black number three the nips boot nipper one on a black two one and you can give it death touch or lifelink and number two, a card that people have been hating on, Deadweight. It's still good. Still good, people. It doesn't pull you into black. It's a C plus. But once you're in black, I I'm playing two or three Deadweights happily. For sure. And at number one, Blood Curdle. Moving on to red, Prickly Marmoset at number three. With an honorable mention to Drana Stinger, I think the one in red 2-2 two -two that when you cycle domes your opponent. Very close there, but I think you do want the Prickly Marmoset first. And also because Prickly Marmoset is good at enabling mutate. Number two, Rumbling Rock Slide. This card is going way too late, people. It's good removal. Not, not premium, but very good. Kills things for four mana, three in a red, deals damage equal to the number of lands you control. And number one, Fire Prophecy. Moving on to green in the number three slot, Migratory Green. Great Horn. This is three and a green for the three four. Has a mutate cost of two and a green. And whenever it mutates, you can go search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, tapped. Yeah, this somehow slipped past both of our top threes last week. No longer. This card is very, very strong and enables some of the best mutate curves of going two drop into this on turn three. Uh, number two here is Essence Symbiote, but I could see Migratory Great Horn edging it out here. Yeah, Essence Symbiote is the one in a green 2-2, two -two, and whenever a creature you control mutates, put a plus one plus one counter on it and gain two life. And at number one, we've got a Ram Through, one in a green for the instant. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. All right, you want to give a shot at ranking these top five commons overall? Yeah, and number five, I think Ram Through. Number four, Essence Scatter. Number three, Farfinder, the fox. Number two, Fire Prophecy. And number one, Blood Curdle. But here's the thing about these common rankings, people. They don't really matter. I hard agree. It, it goes out the window so quickly based on what you're doing. Well, so there's there's a number of things here is that we're in early days here, right? We're recording this on Sunday. This is day four of the format, day five if you get the early access event. And there are a lot of people that you and I are in contact with that are having a lot of success with this format and are having different opinions of these common rankings of pick orders. We're seeing preferences come through. We're seeing, you know, people are going to be playing with what they're winning with. You're very hot on the red white cycling deck. You've just come off two trophies with it. I'm very hot on Sultai Mutate. I'm coming off of two trophies with it. Like there's a lot of good stuff to be done in this format. And I think you just need to be aware of building a deck. And when you're aware of that, you're going to know what your pick order should be. You're going to know when to take 
Farfinder over a Blood Curdle or whatever. And I think also you should not be scared to draft the allied color pairs. I think there's, you know, a little bit of nonsense going around about that. I think the allied color pairs are playable. Certainly not necessarily as strong of a focus deck as cycling, but that's not always going to be there in your seat. So don't be afraid to be creative, go off the rails. Just make sure your deck is doing something. I think this is going to be a format. I mean, we've had a lot of people comparing this format to previous formats. I heard an Hour of Devastation comparison today. And I think if there's a comparison to be made there, I think this metagame is going to shift wildly over the next few months. Right. I was talking to Alex today on our Discord about cycling. And I think cycling's busted. And if you get the cycling deck, it's very good. But then as people start picking the one CMC cyclers higher, cycling is going to be less good. But then every once in a while, people are going to forget. And it's going to be like when people don't hate out affinity in modern, like every (laughs) once in a while, you know, people just forget to put that artifact hate in their sideboard and affinity shows up and crushes the tournament. That's how cycling is going to be late in the format. Like because every once in a while, people just aren't going to pick the one CMC cyclers. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right. If we take a seat here, pack one, pick one, not much to consider. Our mythic rare in the pack is Vivian Monsters Advocate, probably the best card in the set. Three green green for three mana planeswalker. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may cast creature spells from the top of your library. Plus one, make a three three green beast token. Put your choice of a vigilance counter, a reach counter, or a trample counter on it. And you can also minus two to whenever you cast your next creature spell this turn. Search your library for a creature card with lower converted mana cost and put it onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. Yeah, I mean, this pack is stacked. You've got Boneyard Lurker, Grim Dancer, Trumpeting Gnar, Boot Nipper, Evolving Wilds, but yeah, you're never passing Vivian. Moving on to pack one, pick two. A little more interesting of a pick here. Snare Tactician is in the pack. Two and a white for a two, three. Whenever you cycle a card, tap a creature and opponent controls. There's a Glimmer Bell, one and a blue, one, three flyer. You can pay one and a blue to untap it. There's Bonders Enclave as your rare. This taps to add a colorless, and you can pay three tap, draw a card, activate this ability only if you control a creature with power four or greater. And then Sanctuary Smasher, four red, red for the six, four first strike, cycling two and a red. Whenever you cycle it, you can put a first strike counter on something. Yeah, I wish that we had a good green card to follow up Viv with, but Bristling Boar is the only green card here. There's also a Blossoming Sands, I guess, is a green, white, dual land but who cares about that bonders enclave is a card i've had uh, the chance to play with quite a bit actually so far and it is very powerful and a pretty low cost to your deck a colorless land especially when you're in green doesn't feel like a, a huge cost yeah that is what i took as well so we've got vivian and bonders enclave in the pile moving on to pack one pick three another tough choice here Best and only green card in the pack is Mosscoat Goriak, two and a green for the two four Vigilance. There's Essence Scatter, one and a blue instant counter target creature spell. Our Lords of Limited preview card, Indatha Crystal, three mana for the artifact, taps for Abzan mana, and you can cycle it for two. And then Blitz of the Thunder Raptor, one and a red instant, deals damage target creature planeswalker equal to the number of instants or source and sorceries in your graveyard. I mean, it feels good to be back in a drafting the hard way set where I just get to go. I just want to take the best card in the pack, which I think is Essence Scatter, and I'm not worried about making playables. Yep, that was where I was at as well. So snatched up Essence Scatter is what I think is the best card in the pack, and you agree. Moving on to pack one, pick four. See the following cards as options. There's some green here, but again, it's all clunkers. There's a Honey Mammoth, 4GG for the 6-6, and when it ETBs, you gain four. There's Excavation Mold, two and a green for the 3-3 Trample. When it ETBs, put the top three cards of your library in your graveyard. And Lead the Stampede, the thing that lets you look at five cards and put the creatures from those five into your hand. But none of those are really good enough, I don't think. Best card in the pack, Dire Tactics, White Black Instant Exile Target Creature. If you don't control a human, you lose life equal to that creature's toughness. And I think not much else to consider here. There's a Divine Arrow as probably the next best card. 
Yeah, but Dire Tactics is just like miles ahead of the rest of the pack. So you just take that and you, you'll you figure the rest out. You don't have to be white-black, especially if you hang on to Vivian, if you're able to. You can go green-black splash, green-white splash. Like You just take the best card here, I think. Yep, that is what I did. I snatched up Dire Tactics. Moving on. So we've got quite the pile right now. We've yeah. got Vivian, Bonders Enclave, Essence Scatter, and Dire Tactics. All we're missing is a red card to have Wooberg. Well, let's look to the next pack then. Moving on to pack one, pick five. We see the following cards as options. Only green card in the pack, Adventurous Impulse. Zagoth Mamba at Uncommon, black for the 1-1. And whenever it mutates, target creature and opponent controls gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. And boom, baby, there's a Savai Thundermane, red-white for the 3-2. Whenever you cycle a card, you can pay two. If you do, it deals two damage to target creature, and you gain two life. Again, I want to take the best card of the pack, which is Savai Thundermane. I could see a world, like, I think Zagoth Mamba is good. And if we had, like, a Sultai Mutate Shell, like if you had a Chittering Harvester and maybe an Auspicious Starix, I could see being, like, those are good enough. I'd like to start getting the good creatures to mutate onto, and I'll take Mamba here and pass up on the Thundermane. But you don't have a clear direction yet, and Savai Thundermane could be a clear direction. I think another thing to note about cards like Savai Thundermane, this means that four people in front of you passed on one of the tier one cards for cycling. Yes. So if you go back and you think about the cards we put in tiers, this is a signal. Like, in Theros, first of all, you wouldn't get good cards this late in Theros. <laughs> but second of all, there weren't just cards that like said, hey, this archetype's open. And that's what Savai Thundermane does here. Yes. It says cycling's open. So when you get cards late like this, and you know, if we reversed it and whatever, you were getting, I don't know, ominous seas, you would take that and you would try to draft around it and you would put way more weight on the ominous seas than you did your first picks, right? Yeah, because it's way more likely that that deck is open or that that card archetype whatever is open because four people passed up on it right so this pack rounded out with me pick taking cycler 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 and then some <laughs> junk at the end and then you know got hooked up with cycling payoffs in pack two and pack three and we got you know like five one mana cyclers here at the end of pack one which just should not happen on the wheel so i don't know how long you're going to be able to do that for but as long as you're able to i'm going to be trying well, to not with cycling. you just telling everybody about it I know it it makes me a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome people. That's what we're here for. All right, that's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. You can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited and you can just check all of our social media, all of our videos and episodes out at lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for hanging out and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks everybody. See you later.
five and a green six six mutate for six mana. And then when you mutate, you reveal cards off the top of your library where until you. Oh, my God. Why am I getting? Nope. 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 <laughs> There's no way I'm going to be able to say this so card's text. text. So much text. <laughs> 